Welcome back to OA On Air, the official podcast of O'Neill & Associates. I'm Kyan Isaacson. This week, we have 321 Go with Cosmo Macero, and then we're talking Salvation Army. First with Major George from the Army talking about the Red Kettle campaign and all the amazing work the Army does each year to support those in need. And then in two minutes with Tom, Tom talks about being this year's recipient of the Salvation Army's Others Award. But first up, 321 Go. Let's talk about something important. Hello and welcome to 321 Go on OA On Air, our weekly look into the world of public affairs, culture, business, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. In this installment of 321 Go, the Christmas and holiday season is a critical time for the Salvation Army. Donations into those familiar red kettles help support all the Army's disaster response and human service work throughout the year. We'll discuss some of the fun, exciting, and rewarding things our team does every year in working with the Salvation Army in Massachusetts. And our own Ben Josephson, OA's resident expert on Connecticut politics, talks with Kyanne Isaacson about the big changes happening in Hartford. Finally, everyone's talking about the live and on-camera meeting between President Trump, House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi, and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer. So, we will too. Joining me here on 321GO is Kyanne Isaacson. Hello. The official voice of OA on air. Cayenne, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Excellent. Another great week. Another great, busy week. Busy, busy, busy. Lots happening. All right, let's get to it. All right, Cayenne, when you think of Christmas, one of the things you think about is the Salvation Army, that very visible presence outside of various stores with the red kettle stand and the bell ringing. Um, We've worked with the Salvation Army for many years, a terrific organization, delivers disaster response, delivers all kinds of human service work uh, all across Massachusetts, all, all around the world. Um, but, you know, but it's actually a pretty fun project that we work with them on every year. A lot of different things. As we speak, we've completed this week the Salvation Army Annual Luncheon, and mm-hmm. lo and behold, one of the honorees, Thomas P. O'Neill III, right, for his work. That's correct. He, he received what's it's the Others Award. The Others Award. Yeah, yes. for service to others. Mm-hmm. So he has a long-time commitment to the Army. But there's a pretty, some pretty fun things. Tell me, let's start with the mascot challenge, because that kind of kicked off the kettle campaign in Massachusetts. So we've got the red kettle campaign every year, which people obviously, you see the red kettles, you hear the bells ringing around November. We officially kick it off in early December with the mascot challenge, so the mascots from the different Boston area sports teams come out. Wally the Green Monster, Pat the Patriot, Slide the Fox, Blades, Blades the Bear. Blades the Bear from the Bruins. And, and the Salvation Army has a mascot. They do. They have a Captain Shield mascot. Um, and they all come together for an hour in downtown crossing and they all have their own kettle and their own bell and they compete for an hour to see who raises the most money. Uh, Wally the Green Monster was this year's winner. Um, so it's great. It's fun. It attracts a lot of attention, which is great. Yeah. Nothing a like a bunch of mascots dancing around to uh, attract some attention to donate. Yeah, the whole campaign, which really runs from right around eh, a little bit before Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. right up till Christmas Eve. Um, so it's kind of a sprint, but they raise a, the army raises a lot of money for all of its programming. Um, in years past, we've done we've done something in the past called the Run for the Red Kettles. It's like a how much money can you raise in one hour thing. Um, 
the celebrity bell ringers, it's really more like the political celebrity bell ringers, right? It is. It's um, local officials. So we've had the mayor this week. Um, some of the mayor local, of Boston, Marty Walsh. Yes, Mayor Mayor Walsh. Yeah. Um, the local, some of the local TV stations do some takeover. So Boston Twenty Five will be doing it. Uh, Channel Five will do it as well. Uh, this year we also have Commissioner Gross of the Boston Police Department. We've got Commissioner Finn from the Fire Department, and then also your know, reigning champion, Governor Charlie Baker, right? Uh, no, Speaker DeLeo is the reigning. Oh, champion. Uh, in terms of who raised the most in terms money. Terms of who raised the most money. Ooh, a couple it's of years on. running now. It's yeah. On. Um, and then yeah, we, we the auditor, the treasurer, the lieutenant governor. Um, the, the speaker, Speaker DeLeo, and Governor Baker always comes out. And what's really great is seeing how much fun they all have with it. Yeah, it's a fun thing. They, it's cold. I've done it in the past when I used to do the heavy hitters on Fox 25. Mm-hmm. And Fox 25 and now Boston 25 has been a terrific partner to the Salvation Army. We used to do it. Uh, Peter Cadges, myself, VB, a lot of fun. And people love going up to that kettle when there's like some kind of commotion. It could be anyone, really. But yeah. you get the governor out there or something like that, that's pretty Lots cool. Lots of selfies get taken oh with the governor. Goodness. Lots of selfies yeah. get taken with Mayor Walsh. Um, and no matter how cold it is, I will say, they all just, they have a great time. The auditor sings. Yeah. Um, while she's out there. That's it's great. Just, it's, really, it's, yeah. it's great to see. And, you know, it's all for a good cause. It must be the holidays. It must be Christmas if it's the Salvation Army out there on the Kettle Campaign, uh, I, I know that there's a big push because, uh, you know, um, uh, the need is up. Donations are, are, are a little softer, so it's a big final push in the last two weeks. But uh, great conversation uh, and a great time to be talking about the Salvation Army. Thanks, Cayenne. Thank you. So I'm here joined by Ben Josephson, our resident expert on all things Connecticut politics and policy. Ben, thank you for joining us for 321GO this week. Thanks, Cayenne. It's good to be back. So lots happening in Connecticut. Yes. So Talk to me. Tell me about it. Connecticut, um, known as the land of steady habits, uh, has, with a few notable exceptions, a fairly stable political climate, has competitive elections, particularly for governor but a lot less volatile overall than places like Florida or Wisconsin. However, uh, 2018 was a real transformative election there, especially given the longevity of some of the outgoing and remaining office holders. So there's a lot to talk about. In the Capitol, in Hartford, this past November, Connecticut elected a new governor in Ned Lamont to succeed the outgoing Governor Dan Malloy, who held that position for eight years and before that 16 years as the mayor of Stamford. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, one of Connecticut's uh, largest and most dynamic cities. Um, and Lieutenant Governor Susan Weisowitz is succeeding Nancy Wyman, who served in multiple positions in state government for over 30 years. Um, the new state attorney general, William Tong, uh, is replacing George Jebson, who's been a leader in Connecticut politics for three decades uh, as Senate Majority Leader, Attorney General, State Democratic Party Chairman. Uh, among other roles. And there will be a new state treasurer, Sean Wooden, um, replacing Treasurer Denise Napier, who held that position for five terms. So three longstanding public servants returning to private life voluntarily, uh, choosing not to seek re-election after after decades of honorable service. Um, So there'll be a lot of changes in Hartford and and all three incoming electeds are going through a transition right now. and, And people are eager to find out what this means for uh, both politics and policy going forward. So 
in addition to just changes at the state level, there's a lot of changes in D.C. Um, across the board. How is that really affecting Connecticut more specifically? Sure. Um, before I sort of get into what it you know means for the re- returning members of the Congre- Connecticut congressional delegation, there's a lot of talk about this incoming Congress, um, particularly the House, where we see a incoming class that's more diverse, um, more women, more people of color, young, young veterans, people served in our intelligence services. It's exciting, and among those. Uh, new members of Congress will be uh, Johanna Hayes, who is the first African-American woman to go to Congress from the state of Connecticut. She's a former National Teacher of the Year, served in the Waterbury Public Schools. She is fantastic. Um, she sounds great. She's a natural leader. Um, she was on Seth Meyers two nights ago. I urge <laughs> you to go look at the clip. Uh, she made some of the best commercials uh, that we've seen in this in this last election cycle, and there were a lot of good ones. So uh, she's absolutely somebody to watch. Um, But with respect to the folks that have uh, already been serving in Congress and are going back to Washington to represent their districts in Connecticut, um, so Connecticut, like Massachusetts, is an all-democratic congressional delegation. It'll stand to benefit significantly from the change of control, especially in the House. Um, So in addition to Congresswoman-elect Hayes, who I just mentioned, John Larson will be a senior member of the Ways and Means Committee. Jim Himes will likely be a subcommittee chair on intelligence. Uh, Rosa DeLauro, who's the dean of the delegation from New Haven, very close to the uh, to Speaker Pelosi and likely a, a subcommittee chair on appropriations. And Joe Courtney um, will likely chair the Sea Power Subcommittee of the Armed Services Committee. And that's a position that's, that's huge for his district. Um, it's home to Naval Subbase uh, New London, uh, Naval Submarine Base New London, excuse me, as well as the electric boat that manufactures the $7 billion uh, Columbia-class subs. So write down uh, 395 Cayenne if you want to buy a sub and have $7 billion you know, in your pocket, you know where to go. Can you Venmo me that? <laughs> <laughs> so um, we've talked a lot on this podcast and in general about how Massachusetts is really re- well positioned uh, with this uh, new Congress and obviously the, the House going Democratic, but it sounds like Connecticut equally uh, well positioned. Yeah, it's a state that really punches above its weight politically. It's a small state and sort of like Massachusetts, it's it's learned over the years that the members of the delegation really need to pull in the same direction and sort of diversify themselves among the important committees that are uh, that relative to their uh, important parts of the Connecticut economy. So uh, Connecticut's no different in that way. I mean, I should, I should also mention that, you know, Richard Blumenthal and Chris Murphy are, you know, both returning to the United States Senate. And, you know, Chris Murphy is a perfect example of someone who, um, and they both have, but even in this last week, you know, as a member of the minority party in the United States Senate, um, you know, really brought along a coalition uh, in support of a vote to deauthorize uh, United States military funding of the Saudi war in Yemen. So you have someone who, you know, having only been in the United States Senate for six years is, is really having an outsized role, um, even as a member of the minority party uh, during that time. So, you know, Connecticut really does have a delegation that works very well together. Um, they're all, for the most part, you know, very collegial. Um, and it's important because this is a state that, you know, continues to work very, very hard to retain and grow um, many of its legacy employers. I mentioned Electric Boat, but it's also just the entirety of the defense manufacturing industry throughout the state, the insurance industry um, in and around Hartford, 
and at the same time really working to sort of grow a presence in biosciences and, and information technology. So uh, it's exciting time for Connecticut and Connecticut politics. Um, sad to see some folks that have been close to leave public life, but I'm excited for what's ahead. So I have to ask the question. Sure. Will any of this help Connecticut traffic? That's a really good question. They, they've got they've got a lot of work to do, and it's an issue that I've sort of grown close to over the uh, coming years. Um, a you lot, go to I mean, Connecticut a lot. I'm in Connecticut a lot. I'm on I'm on the road to Hartford uh, a couple times a month at a, at a minimum. So uh, that's actually not where the worst of the traffic is. Uh, that little stretch of 84 between Massachusetts and, and Hartford. 84 is not bad. 84 is not bad. But as you get into downtown Hartford, uh, in all seriousness, they really need to to replace. The, they basically have to have their own big dig. In downtown Hartford to replace the existing viaduct and good luck to Hartford. I could I could I could go on and on about about the various <laughs> transportation policy uh, changes and, and investments that that really do need to be made. You know, the outgoing governor had a I think it was a, a thirty year hundred billion dollar plan um, that included a, a replacing and improving a lot of the systems and infrastructure throughout the state, and it's it's badly needed. So before we go, key takeaways: What should people be looking for to come out of Connecticut? So I, you mentioned transportation. I think that's a big one. Um, there's going to be a big debate inside the state on how they're going to fund uh, some of these improvements that are that are desperately needed. There's going to be a continued discussion on state budget issues. You know how to maintain the obligations that the state has, uh, long-term obligations the state has to its state employees and retirees, and how to balance that. Um, and and really, Connecticut is without what you would call, you know, a major city like Boston or New York and how it's going to continue to grow its economy and bring younger people into the state and and serve the industries, you know, serve next generation industries that I mentioned before in the biosciences and, and information technology. So, you know, continuing economic issues are always at the forefront uh, in Connecticut. And I think that's that's not going to change in the years ahead. And uh, what's always at the forefront of everyone's mind University of Connecticut basketball. Uh, the women have been obviously at the uh, at the at the top of the of the uh, of the charts for for many many years, and the men's team has been very very good as well. Um, they need to find a new conference. So, a little bit of chatter this week about whether Connecticut goes back to the Big East. But that is going to be at the top of uh, the tip of people's tongues throughout the state. I'm sure that's the really important stuff. Exactly. Thanks for joining us, Ben. Thanks, Cayenne. All right, finally, Cayenne, the, the political hot topic of the week, right? The president, the House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi, the Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, they're, they're coming together in the West Wing for a meeting that I think is supposed to be a, uh, you know, mostly not ceremonial, but sort of courtesy meeting of the minds where nothing really is going to get accomplished, obviously. And, and, and I, I guess it was supposed to be closed press. And, and closed press, but the, but the president encourages the press to come in. Uh, uh, and, and, and be there for this meeting, um, which would indicate that he had some plan or strategy for winning the moment. And he didn't win the moment. He did not win the uh, moment. Yeah, you know, he, he lost the moment. I have seen so much social media activity around this, you know, with, with, with viral video language, you know, Trump gets owned, you know, watch now. <laughs> Schumer dunks on President Trump. You know, uh, it's it, it's unbelievable, and it, it's it's kind of true because 
in the end, um, everyone comes away from this thing saying, oh, well, the president sort of just admitted that, uh, you know, he doesn't have the votes for the wall. He just admitted that the Mex- that he knows Mexico's not going to pay for the wall. He just admitted that there really isn't as much of a crisis as he thinks. He, he was all tied up in knots. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the fact that, not surprisingly, he's talking over Nancy Pelosi. He's calling her Nancy, right? Very he's calling her Nancy. He's being disrespectful. Chuck Schumer's just rolling his eyes, being like, get me out of here. I can't believe this happened. It was actually really, it was better than a Saturday Night Live skit. It was funnier than it, a Saturday Night Live skit. It, in any other Much. sort of world, it should have been a Saturday Night Live skit. The biggest thing he did was openly admitted that he will shut down the government with no apologies. He will take ownership of shutting down the government if he doesn't get what he wants. Yeah. I, I can only imagine. So, so he. So this is the president holding yes. his, own, to his hold own federal own government, government hostage. hostage. It's, that's right. Social services for people, the mail, all of it. I'm going to shut it down unless you guys give me my wall. Does he not understand those? Those are I, Congress approves funding. Those are executive functions. Those those are things that are carried out that the, that the administration has to take ultimate responsibility for. And he's Vital services, shutting, it down. shutting it down for my wall. I, says the words, "I will own it. I won't blame you." Like I can only like his staff's heads must have just been rolling. Republicans on the Hill must have just been like, what are you doing? It's just not a good look. (laughs) Usually you don't want to take ownership for shutting down down. the federal government. No. Not cool. (laughs) And and, and there's an important moment where, where, you know, he really gets caught up in his own confused rhetoric where where, where Schumer, and I'm not a huge fan of his, but he says – he he indicates or he lays out in a, just a few words the, the notion that on the one hand the president is saying we've done a great job on border security and and we're, and we're doing a terrific job, but we need to build a wall because security is terrible. It's it's like a conundrum or 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 a paradox or he's it, caught in his own little web of lies. Yes, there. yeah, I think Schumer calls it a cocoon. <laughs> That's nice. What we need to remember is that this is a man who used to be on reality television. Yeah. And that is the man I think that we were seeing. We yeah. weren't seeing, quote, President Trump. He really turned on more of reality TV. Yeah, that was, the, that was sort of the, that the, moment. The, the, an angry apprentice Trump. A little bit of a rant. A little bit of a rant, yeah. Um, I can, you know, do and say whatever I want. And he certainly didn't win the moment. No. Um, there were reports that, uh, in, you know... Uh, citing, you know, aides, staff, sources that he was visibly angry as he was leaving, right? He's, he's, you know, Pelosi walks out, she puts on the sunglasses with the overcoat, she's walking out like, with you know. With some swagger. With some swagger. <laughs> he's, he like, he had some briefing papers, he flicked them on the floor, allegedly, and, and like, you know, he, you know, visibly upset that, and how that went, you know, in front of, in front of the entire the entire White House press corps. Not suppressed. Yeah. And um, for anyone who hasn't seen the video, if you can catch a video where the vice president is included oh in the screen, he is so uncomfortable. He's just sitting there like, please, when will this end? Yeah. Please make it stop. Never felt an, uh, the, 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 the urge to actually say even one word. No. Yeah. Would Strange. you? 
And that was, you know, what, do you, what some, do you do? Maybe something. I mean, maybe something so you don't look like you're part of the furniture. But uh, anyway. <laughs> but he had it, that very red tie yeah, on. I mean, there's so. been a lot of this stuff. But this this was like the ultimate political theater. And, and it was real. It, it was because it wasn't it's actual. It wasn't leaked reports of, no. you know, from Pelosi's camp and Schumer's no. camp. And, and then the Trump White House sort of trying to spin these leaked reports out of what happened in what should have been a closed door meeting. Yeah. We got to see all of it. Yeah. Fabulous. Fascinating and fabulous. All right, Cayenne, thanks very much. All right, that's going to do it for this week's edition of 321 Go. 321Go is recorded in Studio 10A, just off the historic Tip O'Neill room at our building in the heart of Government Center, Boston, Massachusetts. Thanks for listening. Goodbye till next time. I'm Cosmo Masseri. That's all for 321 Go. Up next, an interview with Major George from the Salvation Army. Hello, and we are joined in studio today by Major George from the Salvation Army. Welcome, Major. Thank you. Thank Pleasure you for joining us. Thank you so much. So you have been a minister and an officer on the Salvation Army for 30 years. Yes, I have. My wife and I both. That's, um, that's, it's, a, it's a lengthy time? It, it, it is. It's hard to believe we've been doing what we do for that long, but when you like what you do... The time goes by. Yeah, I'm sure. And the Salvation Army is an incredible organization to be spending sort of so much of your time on. Um, for anyone who may not know, uh, this is the we are currently in the red kettle season, uh, which is for you know the the red kettles and the people ringing the bells, uh, raising money. So can you talk a little bit about the Salvation Army, what it does? There are so many programs and services that I think the your average person on the street probably really doesn't even know about, um, and specifically sort of the Red Kettle campaign and how that works. Certainly, certainly. That's kind of a broad question. Uh, most folks know us at the holiday season for the type of assistance that we provide, um, the Red Kettle bell ringing, as you mentioned. Uh, they know us about uh, our emergency disaster services in times of of need and, and hurricanes and things like that. Um, folks might know about our red and white trucks where they can offer donations to us and uh, we provide those at uh, low or no cost to those individuals that might have need. What many folks don't realize is that all of our Salvation Armies have a church and pastors associated with, with those centers. And in those centers we have social services, we have after-school programs, we have women's and men's programs, we have summer day camps that we operate. We have opportunities for overnight summer camp. And depending on the community, there may be even other programs, um, juvenile youth offender programs and uh, fitness programs and open gyms and things like that. So we're operational 24-7, 12 months out of the year, not just the holiday time as some folks might, uh, might think. Because of that association. Correct. So this year marks the 135th anniversary of the Salvation Army Massachusetts Division, opened in uh, Lawrence 135 years ago. And I think you've touched on this a little bit, but what do you think, in having been involved in the organization for so long, what makes the Salvation Army really stand the test of time? 135 years is a long time. That is a long time. And I, I think it goes right to our mission, um, which really is based on the Bible. Um, we're an international movement. And our message is, is, as I said, based on the Bible. Our ministry and what motivates us is the love of God. And so we're called to serve um, 
in whatever means possible, whatever needs might be in a community. And we do that without discrimination. So I think that in and of itself helps set us apart um, from many other organizations, uh, again, being worldwide and Bible-based. And uh, we have some great folks that are, are, are helping us and uh, that come around and, and volunteer with us, as well as our staff and our officers. So, so there's a wide-ranging services, and I'm always surprised uh, yes. when I hear about new ones all the time. Um, the red kettle and the corresponding, the bell ringer that goes along with it yes. has become such a staple of the holiday season. You sort of, when when you start to hear those bells ring in mid to late November, you kind of, it starts to put you a little bit in the spirit it of does. things. It does. Um, when people put a donation in the red kettle, whether it's a dollar, a ring, $20, <laughs> what have you, That's right. um, what are they helping to support What more specifically? Well, first of all, particularly around the holidays. Certainly. First of all, it goes to help our holiday assistance. So that's um, providing toys, books, warm clothing for children and seniors, a Thanksgiving meal, a Christmas meal with all of the trimmings. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully there's uh, money left over that will go into our operating, our day-to-day -day operating, again, some of those programs that I made mention of before, anywhere from youth uh, programs, to our after-school programs, to our scouting programs, to our summer day camp, and certainly our social services uh, departments that are open year-round. So it starts with Christmas and the holiday time, but really helps us to do what we do day in and day out. 365 days, days a year. year. That's right. So if people are interested in volunteering or getting involved in other ways um, besides putting uh, a donation in the red kettle, what can they do? Where do well, they go? There's a couple things they can do. First of all, they could call their local Salvation Army, and they can find that online. Um, we have a website. It's Salvation Army MA for Mass, so SalvationArmyMA.org, mm -hmm. and it would list all the Salvation Armies across the Commonwealth. Um, there are 32 of those, so there should be one in your neighborhood. Um, you could Check on uh, Facebook, on social media, so Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Um, but again, calling the local Salvation Army is a great way to find out what's happening in your community and how you can help and get involved right in your own backyard. And for anyone who's wondering, that includes ringing a bell. It does include You're ringing the bell. You're always looking for volunteer bell ringers, we am never, I right? We never have enough <laughs> bell ringers. And, and let me tell you, it's, it's, it's kind of fun when you do that. I mean, it's a Christmas tradition for mm -hmm. those of us that uh, work for the Salvation Army or are used to volunteering. But you hear some great stories about how the Salvation Army has impacted lives, has really transformed people's lives, not just at the holiday time, but year-round. And as you're ringing the bell, as you're volunteering, you'll hear those stories, and you're now part of that in helping us deliver those services. So come on out, ring the bells for the Salvation Army. I know that uh, we've worked with the Salvation Army in previous years. We always organize the celebrity bell ringers. Yes. So that includes the governor, the mayor, um, the police commissioner, of the house, the police commissioner. Uh, we had Kitar Bear last year. We're trying to get him again. Oh, we nice. have the uh, mascots, the sports yes. mascots come out and Mascot do it. challenge, sure. And I will say, having um, witnessed many of our celebrity bell ringers, they all really enjoy it. They they love that out, no matter how cold it is. That's they right. all have a really good time. I've been told by some of them, it makes Christmas for them. Yeah. It really is what Christmas is all about, giving back. So we appreciate that support. So you too can ring the bell. Yeah. Please join us. Um, 
before we go, uh, we've talked a, li- a lot about sort of the vast amount of services and programs, but what would you like people to know about the Salvation Army that they may not already know? Well, I, I think I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but uh, we're busy year-round, not just at the holiday time. I, I once had someone ask me, what do you do in the summertime? Do you uh, go on maneuvers with the Salvation Navy or something? Because we just don't see you. But again, we have summer day but camp you're always programs. There. We are there. Um, we are there. We're doing summer day camp programs on our summer overnight program. And of course, social services and all the other things that we do. For example, in my center in Dorchester, my wife and I are privileged to run the Salvation Army Ray and Joan Croc Core Community Center. And so we have an aquatics department. We have we have a cardio loft and a fitness center and a, a great field, a soccer field um, with juvenile youth offender programs and a culinary arts training program. So all of these things going on and more right in your own backyard. Um, we're just so busy sometimes doing that folks maybe don't recognize uh, that it's the Salvation Army or who's who's running the program. But we're busy, and there's plenty of room for volunteers and support. So check us out. All right. Well, thank you, Major George, for joining us and for all that you and the Salvation Army do throughout the year. And um, be Certainly sure to pleasure. reach out and, you know, go visit a celebrity bell ringer in your area. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thanks. And now, Two Minutes with Tom. Okay, we ready? Hi, Tom. Welcome back to Two Minutes with Tom. Thanks, Diana. It's nice to be with you. Well, thanks for joining us. It wouldn't, <clears throat> it wouldn't be Two Minutes with Tom without you. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to talk to you about the Salvation Army, um, obviously an organization. You've been on their board of advisors for, I think, about a decade. Um, our company has worked with them. We do public relations for them. But you were also just awarded the Others Award from the Salvation Army this year at their annual luncheon. For anyone that doesn't know, the award honors an individual or organization exemplifying an extraordinary spirit of service to others. First of all, congratulations. Well, thank you. I I consider it a a great honor, to be honest with you, because it follows in the footsteps of so many other significant leaders in the town. So I um, I was really thrilled by getting it. You gave a fantastic speech, by the way. Thanks, Anne. You know, uh, what's interesting about Salvation Army is that um, it has been operating in the state of Massachusetts now for 135 years. Um, and oftentimes people look at it one-dimensionally. But the fact of the matter is it does an awful lot of work for the homeless. It takes care of the poor by food drives and, and food kitchens, by giving out clothes during, during the cold winter months, by making sure people in need, whether it's a toy at Christmas time for a kid or whether it's a, you know, a visit to a prison or a hospital. Uh, it could be a disaster. The Salvation Army is the first one in and always the last one out. And it's, um, it's a wonderful organization made up of just terrific, terrifically minded, spirit, spirited-minded people that care about their community, care about their the state, and care about the mission that they provide. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's just been great over these last 10 or 12 years to be associated with them. So uh, one of the things that I think is really important, and we talk to the Salvation Army about this a lot, is the work is not just during the holiday time. Everyone, I think the first thing they think is red kettles, bell ringers. But on January 1st, 
Salvation Army is still going. Oh, there are millions, literally just in Massachusetts alone, millions of activities which, which take place, whether it's a disaster through you know, a, a gas explosion up in the Merrimack Valley or a, or a storm that could hit a northeaster that would you know, knock energy out of uh, neighborhoods and, and communities or whether it's you know, somebody who's been hurt in a, in a major accident and being hospitalized uh, or whether it's just the poor in every one of our cities and towns, Salvation Army is there. With its, with its apparatus, its people, its staff, and its volunteers uh, in 40 different offices across the state of Massachusetts. I think uh, in, your, in your tribute video, one of the things you said was that they walk the walk. Well, you, you know, 80, over 80 cents of every dollar that is donated in the state of Massachusetts goes to Massachusetts' uh, need, and that's pretty good. Actually, I think it's higher than that. 82 cents. 82 cents. Every dollar. And, and, and in times of disaster, it's 100%. All the dollars that go in, that's yeah. right. So in the Merrimack Valley gas explosions, mm-hmm. which took place a few weeks back, anything that was donated in the way of monies went directly there, and all of the monies were spent there. Yeah. Nothing for administration. Pretty incredible. Yeah, it is. It's, it's just, uh, it, it's been phenomenal, as I said, to just be associated with them over these last years. Well, congratulations again on your award. Yeah, thank you. Don't forget, if you're out and about and you walk by a red kettle this season, consider making a donation. All donations go toward a great cause, supporting those in need. That's it for this week's episode of OA On Air. Don't forget to subscribe, whether it's on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, our own O'Neill & Associates website, or whatever your listening platform of choice is. Talk to you next week.